What up, y'all? Welcome to Queer Walk the Podcast. This is Money, your... I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I just want to hurry up and get to the end of the episode. No, so come to... on. Um, this... <laughs> this is Money, your... I don't have something for Black this week. Black feminist starstruck. Young. I am, yes. Okay. Your um your young black feminist out here. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. Could use some work. But it, you know, it's never nothing wrong with being uh, a black feminist. So I am Nikita, and this week I am I don't know. I'm just really your local neighborhood uh, baddie. I got a haircut. Yeah, Can't yeah. tell me nothing. This outfit. I'm oh, a, my I'm God. A, I'm going to post it on the gram. You have to. Yeah. Yeah. So you can uh, as let the, the thirst trickle into oh, the DMs. Yeah. From no, the- it won't trickle. It will pour. <laughs> the floodgates <laughs> will be open. <laughs> Your chocolate demeanor and your cocoa kisses. I see your flow from a distance. Your vibe inside my submission. I give you all of me. Wanna make you proud of me. We see the God in all you do. Your light is harmony. Every type, darkest night, brightest light. I'm loving your soul. They hate you, replace you, taint you, but know that you go. Worldwide from every continent. I just want you to jig a little bit. Move them hips, feel that bliss. Hug your sister, make a fist. Don't resist your temptation. You amazing, no limitation. My favorite in this matrix. We move by your vibration and that's love. I hope you hear that on the daily, cause baby you love. I hope you hear that on the daily, cause baby you love. I hope you hear that on the daily, cause baby you love. You love. Alright, Nikita, so you wanna tell everybody where they can find us? You bet your sweet ass I do. It's been too long since we recorded. It- <laughs> you regressed back to the 85-year-old you are. You can find us on Twitter, uh, at QueerWalkPod. And remember, when you're on Twitter, use the hashtag QueerWOC. We're also on Instagram, also at QueerWalkPod. Find us on the Tumblr, QueerWalk.com. Shoot us an inbox or an email in the Gmail at QueerWalkPod. QueerRockPod at gmail.com. And you can also find us on the Facebook. The Book of Faces. I was about to say the Book of Faces. <laughs> Money, where can the listeners listen to us? Well, before we get to that, I wanted to give another place that they can find us. Um, <gasps> oh, shit. Yeah. That's right. That's right. like I said, you know, I'm just your young black feminist out here. Uh, <laughs> so, Queer Walk will be at the second annual Potting Live NYC podcast meetup event. Second annual. Second annual. Two Hosted times by, in a course, row. You know, our like fairy podcast sisters, Tea with Queen and Jay. Indeed. <laughs> um, you know, we, we said we some community ass bitches. Community ass bitches. So, I'm going to be in New York City that whole weekend. So, you know. <laughs> Come fuck with me. Um, and it's so it's gonna be on Saturday, April 21st at 4 p.m. And it's at Vaughn, which is the address is 3 uh Bleecker Street in uh Manhattan. I'll put all this stuff in the description and also look out for the like um graphic on our mm-hmm. social media. I'll be circulating it. Um, and we are just one of the many podcasts that are gonna be there, and I'm sure that even people who aren't 
sort of like part of the core group of podcasts that are going to be there. Other folks, other podcasters are going to be there. I'm I'm really excited. Uh, last year was incredible. Like I learned so much, and it was such like a good space because you know I I believe that when you are doing something with genuine community vibes and um like energy, like people like people with similar good vibes are attracted. They to gravitate that to that. Yeah. yeah, and um like I think that's what I've loved the most about actually even meeting Janicia and Queen is that. That like it's authentic. They real. real. They, they yeah. like you know. It's like they really want um, to dismantle the way that we think about like scarcity. Yeah, and, like truly. there can only be one. Truly. Um, even you know on the the flyer, you know they could have put themselves tea with Queen and Jay presents, but they just made it a collective. They did, and um, they always do that. Yeah. yeah. And so we gonna be there, obviously. Tea with Queen and Jay is gonna be there. In a whole uprising. I'm so excited to see the hoes again. We haven't seen them since brunch. Bag ladies gonna be there. Also excited to see them. If you can't hear me smiling yeah. into the mic. <laughs> I'm just so happy. It's gonna be like a family reunion. <laughs> uh, brunch and Budgets podcast. Oh, I need to get my financial life in order. The He-Man Woman Haters Club podcast. The Official Street podcast. Carefree Black Girl, which oh, I'm also excited to see again. Fan bros, so I can nerd out to some shit in the perfect cast. So, yeah, and those are just like to name a few. Like I said, I'm sure there will be other folks in the building. So, come through, and come with through. Us. And the hashtag is gonna be Pod and Live NYC. You know, Pod and Live is like um, the Tea with Queen and Jay, you know, brand thing. And so you just get to see um, wherever they're at in the world with um, whatever city they choose to put on the end of that. So, <laughs> Where in the world is T with Queen <laughs> Exactly. <and Jay. laughs> so, yeah. So, we'll also be there. And now where you can listen to us? I'm so glad you asked. <laughs> you can also listen to us on SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, and Apple Podcasts. I see I change up the <laughs> yeah, order, yeah, yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. You know, I got a haircut. Yeah, you just don't know it. what I'm going to give out to the universe. <laughs> and for the listeners, I'm doing a mean shimmy That's right my, now. She's doing my shimmy. She's appropriating. No, it's right? not. You do. You do, you have expressive shoulders, which is up and down. Everyone knows a shimmy it's is a bo- left a bo- to right. No, 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 no. A shimmy is like a circular motion. Well, yours fluidly. Back. Yours is more uh, vertical. So it's on the the Y plane, the Y axis. Don't act like you know shit about geometry. Okay, here, here we go. I was moving on the horizontal, on the x-axis. Okay. Ah, ah, ah. She really is a different person. I really this, am. With this box cut. Okay. See, Diamond shout you out one time about your haircut, and you think you're cute. I don't think I know, bitch. Do your segment. <laughs> oh, Montanique is so funny. Yeah. Anyway, so, as we were just saying, you know, to riff off of Queen and Jay. It's, we really are some community-ass bitches. We really are. And so, mm-hmm. Queer Walk is not just, you know, Money and I, the dynamic duo, mm-hmm. but you all are also a part of our community. So, in order to keep this amazing, Queer Walk, vibrant community alive, we need you. And so, one of the concrete things that you can do to contribute to this community, which is also your community, is to become a patron. So, Pause the episode after I give you the information. You can go to patreon.com slash queerwalkpod. So just go ahead and pause it right Right now. Right now and do that. Just do that right now. 
you sitting there listening to the podcast. Okay, we're not <laughs> we're not gonna go on to the exploitative for profit education um, ad model, but thanks for trying. But seriously, again, this is not just us, but it's also um, you're in community with us. So drop us off um, a monthly donation. In the um, Patreon. We would really appreciate it. And the rest of your community members would appreciate it too. Or you can do like a one-time donation, just a little, you know, boop, boop, over. What was that? <laughs> how, much, how much is that? What does that translate to? boop, boop. Yeah. That's um, about so $7,548, <laughs> give or take. Well, I heard, I actually heard um, at the event that we were at, somebody give a model of like working for change and so it's like oh, oh you, yeah you give like an hour's worth of wage right. to the the um like thing that you're contributing to right and i thought about like us as a community space because the one fee- the one piece of feedback that we get that resonates with me the most is when people say it feels like they talking to their friends when right. they listen to us. Because I remember one time you was like, who is our audience? I'm like, bitch, we are. That's we real. some That's lonely real. ass queer hoes out here. That's <laughs> just, real. You know, just trying to find community. And um, so I thought about it like that. Like, I'm going to, like, you know, commit myself to giving an hour's worth of wage to back to Queer Walk. Um, yeah. And so, like, oh, so thinking about PayPal in that way, like, so what? I don't know. It was if you earn like twelve fifty an hour, go ahead and drop off twelve fifty in the PayPal. In the PayPal, I like so that. Is, yeah. Shout out to organizers and their um, and always helping us push forward on the grassroots fundraising efforts. Mm-hmm. So speaking of. Community contributors, we have some new community contributors. Mm-hmm. So, shout out to Shyla. Hope I'm pronouncing that right. Because before we started, don't we, please don't. We don't need. Well, I thought it was. I thought it was Sheila, but maybe it's Shyla. Or just tell us how to pronounce they, it. Correctly. Yeah. Thank <laughs> you so much. And they're gonna be like, you know what? I'm not gonna give to their little funky ass podcast because they can't even say my name right. So, we appreciate you. Thank mm-hmm. you so much, Shyla. And also, thank you so much to Desiree. We Again, this is y'all's community. So, mm-hmm. we really appreciate um, um, the new patrons. And we have the um, designated um, amounts. But if you, you know, if you can give, if you can only give like a little bit less. Or maybe you're just balling more. and mm-hmm. you want to give a lot more. Those are just suggested um, donations. Oh, my God. It's Shyla. 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 <laughs> hey, Shyla. <laughs> and drum roll. For what? Sorry, I'm just, that's just how excited I get about Diamond. Oh, yeah. And um, so I hadn't listened <laughs> to Marsha's plate before we had gone to South by Southwest, but I've been binging it, and it's just so, it's just so good. Mm-hmm. And so Diamond... Uh, one third of Marsha's plate also gave us a generous donation in the PayPal. So shout out, not not shout out just for the donation, but yeah, just but, shout out for the shit that you do yeah. for the community and just for just being a smart ass, sharp ass, and if I may say so myself, a fine ass, wonderful, <laughs> you know, yeah. black woman slash feminist, just trans mm-hmm. like feminist treasure. Yeah, amazing, amazing. I mean- Happy belated birthday. Yes. All the all the good things. Oh, just love it. All the things. Just love it, yes. Todas las cosas. 
That's Spanish. Come through. For... I know what you meant. <laughs> oh, the you ain't going. <laughs> what is this? You get a haircut and you cut. You turn into me. Oh. I'm supposed to be the shady bitch, okay? That's my role on this here program. <laughs> yeah, see, you thought she was going to get me. You did it. Yeah, because she pronounces it incorrectly. <laughs> Shout out to my mama Shout as out well. to Sharon. <laughs> All right. So, we ha- yeah, we have also a really touching message. It is. So, Astir, mm-hmm. we also... we um. A few episodes ago, we mentioned our homegirl Sequoia, who didn't listen, and so this is us calling us calling her out so she can listen to oh, the yeah. episode. And now she has to listen to this one too. And so um, we also have another um, amazing uh, friend and homegirl in our community um, who also does Astir does doula work, right? Yeah, and birth so work. birth work. Mm-hmm. And so Astir is just a, an amazing uh, badass black woman. She just left us. A really touching message. I, wait, I have to... So I just left this panel uh, called uh, Reproductive Justice in Our Communities. Um, and Aster was on that panel. And of course, you know, doing the revolutionary work and connecting like birth work to human rights and being queer inclusive and right. just doing all the incredible shit that she does consistently on this panel. So, yeah. Yes. So shout out to Aster being on that panel. So she says... I just want y'all to know you two are so dope and so relevant and so needed for so many reasons personally and just what is needed for us as humans. I can't believe it took me this long to start listening. I'm totally in love. Got SoundCloud and everything. <laughs> Thank you. And two little emoji hearts. You know, that's when you know you're doing it. Will somebody install an app for well, you? I was about to say, because, you know, space, you know, I know we're not into the scarcity model, but storage, we limited. <laughs> so when somebody makes that kind of commitment. Yeah. We appreciate that. So thank you so much. Again, not just for the message, but just for being like an amazing, uh, uh, sharp ass, fly ass black woman. Yes. Ooh. I feel like we need intro music for this week's Queer Walk of the Week. But oh, fuck, I was about to say, what's the next segment? Wow, where do we even begin? You was about to say what? Well, it's you're doing Queer Walk of the Week. Oh, I am? Yes. All right, so Queer Walk of the Week this week. I don't even like... Where? Oh, no, okay, let me take a deep breath. Did you say Wusa Kambahi? Yes. Oh, wow. Um, so Nikita, for, so for those of you who got to see it, I should have um, like posted a tweet first, but I went on live because Nikita had the opportunity of introducing the Barbara Smith at a recent like celebration of the um, the social, what is it called? The Peace Center of Syracuse. Oh, the Peace Peace Council. Syracuse Peace Council. I I always feel like I get the name wrong. Um, So it was the Peace Council's anniversary, and Barbara Smith was the keynote, and my bestie slash co-host, the bitch that's sitting in my living room. (laughs) Oh, my God. Got to introduce Barbara Smith. Yeah. So... It was so funny because somebody from the Peace Council, they um, called me. They were like, hey, do you want to interview? Uh, they, excuse me. They were like, do you want to introduce Barbara Smith? And I was like, um, I was like, I don't know. I was like, I need to call you back. And then I was like, bitch, it's Barbara. <laughs> of course. 
I was just, it was, I don't think I was just like so overwhelmed yeah, yeah. with mm-hmm. the idea. But, yeah. um, I mean, where to even begin? Um, so Barbara Smith was one of the members of, I mean, the truly radical and revolutionary, like one of the most groundbreaking. Insurgent. Insurgent. Yeah. Not just like feminist groups, not just like. Black feminist groups, but like a really like important uh, organization um, on the left, and it was called the Black uh, the Black Oops Combahee. It River was called Co- the Combahee River Collective. And Can we talk about that name for a second? I was just I was just about to do. But okay. Go ahead, because all right, y'all. So I wanted to talk about the name because they named themselves after an action that Harriet Tubman took, leading a, a military raid. Um, along the Combahee River that ended up freeing something like an estimated like 800 enslaved folks. That's what they named themselves. And just exactly. So they were already putting themselves. So two things, not just giving homage to like revolutionary black, you know, women. We've been doing this. But it was also like very much to say, look, we're in this tradition and we're charting that kind of way Mm -hmm. forward. And we here to liberate y'all, whether y'all want it or not. And so like, for like folks who have seen me, um, I have a shotgun on my arm and, and a machete. Well, that's neither here nor there. <laughs> but the like the shotgun, because when you say like whether you want to or not, like that was the um, um, that was the idea behind the um, why Harriet Tubman used the um, sawed off shotgun. The shotgun, because mm-hmm. it was like it makes me think about that Erica Badu lyric. I got the shotgun on your back. If you think about turning back. So it's mm-hmm. like, we got to do this collectively and together because if one person defects, then... Yeah, right. Um, what have you. So, the point is... the so comedy- Barbara, her twin sister, Beverly. and some other bad bitch feminists <laughs> get together. <laughs> and they create um, a left-wing, explicitly black lesbian socialist um, collective. Yes. And... I mean, we're going to post a link to the statement in um, the show notes. And um, it's it's easily, and you'll hear uh, a little bit more um, later, but it's easily one of the sharpest, most concise and succinct political statements I've ever, mm-hmm. like, encountered um, in my life. And it was so formative for me in my political development, especially because it's like, while I... I think around the time I had um, come across it, I was already identifying as a socialist, but it was just, it just gave me that extra oomph and that extra boost to know that there was other black women Mm -hmm. within this radical um, tradition, specifically like socialist tradition. Mm -hmm. Because something that we've talked about on here, it's like, there's a lot of folks uh, who think that socialism is just something that white folks do. Yeah. And so, go ahead. I I was just going to say something real quick. Like, and if you understand that capitalism developed in the United States, particularly um, because of the mass genocide of indigenous people and the mass enslavement of uh, black folks, then you know that that there has been a legacy of right. black folks who have been anti-capitalist. Right. Because that's how the shit develops. Exactly. So. And so in the statement, it's like, so it's a, so they're like pushing against um, some of the, like the sexism that they were like encountering. Mm-hmm. Um Within like the um, within some of the broader movements on the left, um, specifically from black men, but there's also there's a tone of the statement that's also like very comradely. So it's like I think there's a line in there where they say that they're 
they're struggling with black men. Like they're in the struggle with black men around racism, but they also struggle with black men mm-hmm, around mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Um, racism. And it was, it's again, it's just like, it was so formative um, for me. And something that, you know, she um, talked about is that, and what we can see clearly is that those politics where they're talking about how the systems of oppression of like sexism, heterosexism, you know, class, they use the term like oppression, but class exploitation, yeah. how all of those things are linked. Like, and something I said in the intro is that there could be no clear, ex- clearer expression of how profound and formative those politics have been as that those politics are the foundation of the most one of the most important social movements. I know that's happened mm-hmm, in my lifetime, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and that's Black Lives Matter. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. And so there's a whole generation of us who are who have been inspired by the Combahee River Collective yeah. and Barbara Smith um, mm-hmm. in particular. And so something that, like, um, I it's, it's kind of bizarre and um, shameful on some level, but I forget how much, like, she's um, contributed to, like, you know, understanding, you know, doing literary criticism around, like, black women writers. Yes, So, like, bringing that kind of work to life. She created the field. Like... Right. She needs to be, like... Okay, so, I'm having, like, two feelings right now, so it's, like, really hard to put this sentence together, but she's a legend who is still with us. And so often, especially as, like, I've talked about this before on the show, like... As women of color who are queer, so often we find out about our le- legends after they transition exactly, off of this earth. Exactly. But she is one who is still with us, y'all. Like she created like the the um curriculum to teach black women writers. Like this that it, it can be a field of study, like black women's studies. Right. And like And oh, like just, just going into that, um, like just going into like that thread, like um, one of the creators of um, Kitchen Table Press. So she was one of the creators mm-hmm. um, of Kitchen Table Press at a time when publishers would not publish women of color, would not publish feminists, would not publish lesbians. And it Kitchen was, Table Press is publishing all three guys. And that <laughs> happens in 1995, and it's and it was the first woman of color mm-hmm. owned uh, print uh, mm-hmm. publishing press. Mm-hmm. And so I, I mean, she's just been like. Like, it just seems like at every, you know, step of, like, of her life, she's always just been, like, charting these ways yeah. and these paths mm-hmm. forward. And the thing that I want to mention, because you said that, you know, oftentimes so many of the, you know, our black, you know, our black feminist foremothers or, you know, the the black feminists that we receive so much inspiration um, and um, other, you know, important, like, validation from, not only... Are, is she still with us? But, like, she's still engaged she, in struggle. Yeah, yeah. And it's just, like... And so, uh, like, when I, like when she was, like, speaking, when she gave her keynote, um, and it's just... And when just, like, talking with her, you can still hear the fact that she's a fucking organizer. Yeah. And she's just... And it's just, like... She has not stopped. Yeah. Yeah. And, um... Her book is called Ain't Gonna Let Nobody Turn Me Around. Right. Like, and yeah. she hasn't let nobody turn her around. <laughs> yeah. Um, she was on the um, Albany City um, Council, yes. um, and it was interesting, like talking with her, like a little bit, you know, about that and why, like, um, like you know, she and again, she was thinking about it like strategically, and you know, not that she necessarily, and so she um, ran and won as a Democrat, but it's, you mm-hmm. know, has no illusions, uh, like in the Democratic Party, but she's mm-hmm. just always just like 
very forward thinking, very like strategic thinking. And again, mm-hmm. I think for me, especially as someone who is an organizer, it was just so refreshing to be talking about somebody who's um who's talking to somebody who's been organizing, you know, for the past, you know, 40, you know, 50 years. And to see like a future for yourself. Like yeah. it's a black lesbian, right? right? Who's doing this, who's still doing it. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um you as a little radical baby gay. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And I didn't um I didn't know but she was like the the Nobel Peace Prize nominee in 2005. And she just won and last year uh, just received some um a lifetime like a Harriet Tubman lifetime achievement award and like wow. isn't and like that that's how shit comes full circle, right? Yeah. Not that right. not that she's yeah. necessarily like validated by those awards cuz like again her track record specifically like as an organizer um you know speaks for itself but something about that is um what's the word? Serendipitous. Serendipitous, yeah. yeah. Um so I just wanted to say please, uh, yes. Yeah. So uh as I guess as I was thinking, like, it, it had to be a moment for you as someone who is, like, a career organizer um, to see her also is that it is possible yeah. to, like, live in in um, in the struggle, right? And so one thing that I wanted to let y'all know about is that um, we like to do intergenerational shit here. Like, we, we think a lot about the younger um, queer women of color who might like, not have a space and hear our voices through this podcast. But we also think about, like, um, celebrating and uplifting our elders and uh, and the the women who made it possible for us to be on this mic talking that shit. So, (laughs) so as part of that, um, I wanted to tell y'all about the Barbara Smith Caring Circle that has allowed her to retire because, as y'all know, ain't no pension for a black lesbian radical socialist. Um, and because she has dedicated her life to that, and and of course, you know, as we all do, we kind of like do the work, the work that really keeps us alive and allows us to be in these spaces as sort of side hustles to these jobs that pay our bills. Right. Um, and so she has been able to retire because of community. Exactly. Like we keep saying community ass bitches. Um, and so folks have, you know, pitched in and um, donated Sort of, sort of similarly to Patreon, um, like monthly contributions, so that Barbara Smith can actually retire and like we can hold and care for our elder. And so I'll put the link in the description about the caring circle. But this is basically so that she can, you know, continue to do the work that got her here. That I know felt like saved my life. And truly, read, truly. reading about like. There were black lesbians writing about liberation before I was born. Yeah. Like that that just like hit me. It was just one of those moments where you feel like like you're in an Octavia Butler book <laughs> and you're just traveling through time. Like, you know, people like me existed before. Um and so to to keep her doing that, you know? Um, so I'll post the link where you can donate and if you can't donate monthly, you can just make a contribution. Like I said, it's very similar to like Patreon. Right. Um, but yeah, just to you know, take care of our elders who is still out here organizing with right. like um, the poor people's campaign. Mm-hmm. Um, she is very explicit about like struggling against uh, transphobia yeah. and the, the the state level ways that that impacts uh, trans folks in our community. I know she had a conversation with Janet Mock. Yeah, that was like broadcast. So yeah, still doing it. Y'all. Still doing it. Mm-hmm. 
And um, <laughs> we got to interview. Ah! So for the topic for this week, it will be an interview with, with the Barbara, Barbara Smith. Smith. <laughs> I can't believe we got to get on one accord for that. Of course, Actually, that's, how, that's how black women's <laughs> magic works. All right, so we're moving on to what a moment, what a moment, what a moment, what a mighty good moment. Okay. Yes, it is. I get it. You're just going to keep up with the in vogue stuff. I want to take a minute or two and give much respect to a healer that's made a difference in my world. Oh, <laughs> this is the mental moment with money. Now I feel bad because um, this is, I guess I just feel this, but I feel like this isn't one that, it doesn't live up to your your <laughs> great uh, little jingle for it. So, um, even though it's still important. It is. So, I um, saw this post by Black Mental Health Matters on Instagram, and I thought it was a great um, thing to sort of like put in here as the mental moment this week. Because a lot of times, um, like when I'm talking about like community care and like what that looks like, or um, I know I brought up like Sherry and like um, Melissa Harris Perry's pieces on squad care, like what that looks like. Um, I don't, I didn't really get specific because that's their work, you know? Right. Um, but I saw this post by Black Mental Health Matters. Uh, it was a, like a PSA post and actually one of our friends posted it that really listed, it bulleted pointed like times where somebody might need you to check in with them. Right. So, you know, community. Um, so these moments of when you can check in with someone. So I just wanted to read them. Go ahead. You know? So... It's a PSA. Check on your friends who have, one, recently lost a loved one. Mm-hmm. Um, recently had a baby. We just talked about, like, yeah. birthing and stuff. Oh, my gosh. This is an aside, but uh, they were talking about, um, like, this 40-day window. And, uh, like, research showed that people who just gave birth, like, if there's somebody there with them for the first 40 days, that, like, the health outcomes for their baby... And, um, like, things like baby blues and postpartum depression, almost, like, like non-existent. Wow. Like, the, the risk goes so low. If somebody's there with you just for the first 40 days. Collective. Like, collective. Taking care of each other. Uh, so, check in on your friends who just went through a breakup. We've definitely talked about that on oh, here. Oh, Lord, yeah. Whew, I feel like I gained 30 pounds after I... <laughs> <laughs> um, just moved out on their own. I remember those times. I don't. I don't remember feeling any way about that. <laughs> That's because you've always been seventy four. That's right. <laughs> uh, check in on your friends who just started school. Oh shit! Yeah, mm-hmm. and keep checking on them. And shit. Keep, yeah, yeah, yeah. Who are still in school? Yeah. <laughs> check on your friends who just started a new position. I actually just had brunch with uh, one of my sorority sisters that I actually speak to. And- <laughs> and she, <laughs> and she, you know, she just got appointed director of this program, uh-huh. brand new program, you know, at this university. And I just know what universities do to women of color exactly. in director positions. Yeah. And so I was just so thankful to have to, to have time to have uh, brunch with her. 
Um, check on your friends who always seem to be smiling. Ain't that one that like, ooh. That's interesting. Yeah. Because maybe they just hadn't. Mm-hmm. Okay. I know. I feel like I do that. Like, I think the way I deal with stuff is like humor. Yeah. Like, I even think about, um, so I go to this like therapy group and I feel myself cracking jokes in yeah. order to like not really talk about all the oh yeah dark shit that's yeah. happening that's so. right up my alley okay wow mm-hmm. huh check on your friends who struggle with depression yeah and i'm gonna add and anxiety oh lord hmm. my co-worker um crispin today he was like oh what did he say? He was like, yo tengo mucho ansiedad. And I was like, what is ansiedad? And I put it in the translate in the little translator and it was like anxiety. And I was like, oof. I was like, Crispin. Like, yo sabe. <laughs> yeah. Um, check in with your friends who are in an abusive relationship. Oh man, that's difficult. But certainly that is. definitely necessary though. Yeah. Yeah. Oof. I just watched the Roxanne, Roxanne, the... Oh, I haven't watched it yet. Netflix thing, yeah. Check check in on... I would say check in on your friends who are in relationships. And, you, yeah, you Sometimes you, you know. don't know. Yeah. yeah, you just really don't know as an outside person. and You think everything uh, is fine exactly. and it's actually not. And I think people think that abuse looks one way. Like right. there's a public face of abuse. But there's a lot of ways that relationships can be abusive. Yeah. And, um, so just check on your friends who are in relationships. Uh, check on your friends who advocate for all of these causes. That is such a big one. The whole time I was at that panel just now with um, Sequoia and Astaire, and I, I forget the professor's name that was on the panel with them too, I was thinking, who is like you good, sis, for them? Yeah, yeah. You know? Like, do, being a doula, like, I can't, I can't imagine, I don't know, like, doing that all the time. And nobody checking in on me. Yeah. I mean, I think any kind of, like, care work, organizing, advocacy, that always. hmm Yeah. Yeah. And finally, check in on your friends who you simply haven't heard from in a while. I keep telling myself I need to get better at that. I, I really want to commit to being better at that. Yeah. I- I don't know. Because I, I, like, I feel like it's like a circle. Because sometimes I feel like nobody has checked on me. But then I also think to myself, you haven't checked on person right. in a long time. And so, um, I don't know. I, I was just thinking, like, how do I, like, break in, hack my own brain over from the thought of, like, if ain't nobody checking on me, I ain't checking on nobody. Because right, right, I feel right. like... I feel like that's sort of like a cycle I get into a lot and um, it just shoves, it, it feels like depression just be shoving that into my chest. Yeah. Like, ain't nobody gonna check on you. <laughs> you know what I mean? so, Don't like, nobody how, care about exactly. you, Exactly, yeah. Why are you gonna be looking out for these other little raggedy motherfuckers, you know? <laughs> just stay in bed all De- day. <laughs> depression is basically an ain't shit fuckboy. Oh, basically. yeah. Basically, basically. It's like the the roommate that don't ever pay rent. Right. Be running the bills up. Okay. <laughs> You like, but you always home. I right, go to work, and nothing's clean. <laughs> you know, I had shit to do. I was, you know, I was. Just... I was busy. What you was doing? Fucking you up in, your psyche. You've been That's in what the you've same been doing, depression. place since I left. I went to work, drove around, got groceries, came back, and you still in the same place. Yeah, that's exactly how that works. 
Anywho, so yeah, that's my mental moment. Thank like, you. Like all those times to check in with your community folks. Yeah! Ooh! That's how they end that song. You see you see how I connected it? No, because I didn't know that's how they ended it. I thought you were, I don't know what you were doing. <laughs> I didn't do it justice. <laughs> An ancestral cry from the, <laughs> I don't know what that was. Okay. <laughs> the power of Montanique has been stripped <laughs> away. <laughs> It's challenging. <laughs> Alrighty. All right. So we going moving on along. I don't have no like cute little intro. You never do. You never do. You never will because I set the bar obviously okay. entirely too high. Okay. My bar is this, like Mount Everest, so okay? The, <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna intro this segment. You ready? It's in the stratosphere. <laughs> Nikita Oh god. <laughs> I never yielded. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you're tickled by that. Your name fits. <laughs> it's not even the name of this segment, so it doesn't work. This week's episode is brought to you by Nikita. <laughs> I never yielded. Are you done? And as you can see, <laughs> oh my I God. am not dead. And you know she's seen it like 10 <laughs> times. So she'll recite the whole thing. Wakabi, <laughs> kill this fool. The challenge is not complete. <laughs> Montanique, come on now. What will we do? <laughs> Montanique, stop. Border chart. <laughs> <laughs> Cut all of that. No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I'm just going to start introing your segment with, with Black Panther <laughs> quotes. Okay, I can fuck with that. <laughs> you can't go wrong with that. All right. So, this week's episode is unfortunately brought to you by Misgendering. Okay, so obviously this isn't like the usual kind of um, like in-depth technical um, word that, you know, we normally do on this segment, but the, the point of this segment is obviously to try to make sure, it's to help us learn all these different um, concepts, ideas, and terms um, within like social justice and within the left. And so, again, the whole point of the segment is about learning and something that Money and I, um, something that we talk about often, um, I think on the show, but also like off the air, is that we're also still learning too. So, even though this is a show, um, a program, a program, excuse me, <laughs> oh Lord, here I go, a program for and by, you know, queer women of color, um, we fuck up. We fuck up. Mm-hmm. So, on um, not the last episode, but the the one before. The so it it always feels like so much time between stuff yeah. because we're bi-weekly. Right. Everything is like always happening. Um, but it was the one before the South, South by Southwest. By. Right. Yeah. Unfortunately, on that episode, Money and I misgendered somebody after they explicitly told us um, what their um, pronouns were, mm-hmm. and so. Something that um, I 
I saw on, I think it was like floating around like social media. Um, and I've actually just um, saw this like in my um, uh, my work life um, the other day where um, when you misgender somebody, first of all, you shouldn't, I mean, the most important thing is that we, sh I think that what, I think what, you know, we've learned specifically, you know, about gender is that we shouldn't ever assume um, yeah. anyone's gender. So you yeah. should never, you know, just start, you know, gendering people all mm -hmm. willy-nilly. Um, and then the the second thing is that because we are always learning, and the what I saw in this um, thing that was, like, floating around is, like, if you misgender somebody, um, so if you say, for instance, like I saw in the example, it was, like, you know, she, and you're, like, oh, I'm sorry, I meant they, mm -hmm. and then you just, you know, go on. It's something that they, um, like, stressed. And I've, you know, heard other, uh, specifically, like, gender nonconforming people and trans people in my life say it's not it's not actually helpful to make, like, this big scene yeah. or, like, production mm -hmm. about it because then it just gives people more anxiety yeah. um, about the misgendering. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, in, like, in the, in the um, in, like, the meme or whatever that I saw, it was, like, you know, there was like the quick fix and then there was like, oh, I'm so sorry. It's just so hard for me. You know, I knew you as this, blah, yeah. blah, blah. And they're like, that's just, that's just not yeah. helpful. And it's like you just kind of like throwing your own like neuroses and anxieties right, right. onto this, somebody yeah. else. And that's just, just that's most importantly, it's not, you know, helpful for the person that you're um, gendering. And it also is like making some like big production, like the best, the best thing and that it, you it, can like, do. It makes it about you in that to, moment where it's like not, yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. And I was like the best thing. And if you are serious yeah. about wanting to like move forward, then you just, you just move forward yeah, and yeah, yeah. commit, you mm -hmm. know, to uh, getting people's pronouns right. And again, going back to like the initial point, not assuming people's um, gender in the first place. Yeah. Um, I, I think it was so important for me for us for to talk about this um, because we have talked about pronouns on the show before um, and we're also like a queer space yeah, so I feel exactly. like it's, it's even more important for like us to be you know holding ourselves accountable, accountable. and this is why like I kind of don't like fuck with the idea of like safe spaces not not in the way that like they aren't necessary like that fuck ass episode of uh, like grown grownish tried to do but that even in safe spaces there's still work that needs to be done right so um like the lgbt resource center here calls it like safer, safer. yeah like right. it needs it need there still is always like stuff that needs to happen um and so yeah it just like i was at a conference this weekend um, that was a queer conference and, uh, you know, a QPOC that I met there got misgendered and it became like this thing because the person who misgendered them went on this long story about how like they're not good with pronouns and they're from a generation where this was said and that was said and it just made it much bigger than it needed right. to be. And, um, you know, I had this sick feeling in the pit of my stomach because I was like, I know we have we have to address that we misgender somebody. Right. Um, but also it made me think in that moment, like, don't make it about you. Like right. it's not about you. You misgendered this person. Dude, like right. you need to be saying sorry and that's it. And just like go, just right. go on. Like give your apology and go. And like go no on. nobody needs to hear your origin story of why you fuck right, up right, pronouns. Right, right, like right, it's not exactly. about that. Does this feel contradictory because yeah, so. we're saying don't make a big deal out of it? But yeah, it feels like, no, this is us holding ourselves accountable. Yes. 
And you said it low, and I think you thought it's because I was going to cut that. But I'm not going to cut that. Like, yes, I think that's important. Like, well, Let me just say it again. No, you don't have to say it again. The mic picked it up. Oh. I'm going to amplify it. Okay. But, but no, I think it is important. Like, um, my mom used to always say, <laughs> like, wherever you act up, that's where I'm going to whoop you at. Oh, shit. It's, it's <laughs> <laughs> but applying that same principle to, like... I think it's important to not only give that person like a personal apology, yeah. but for us to do it publicly. And to, I think I, I, I tweeted about this. Like, I hate people who are like woker than thou. Yeah. And like, oh my you, gosh, you always. can't sit with me wokeness. And I never want somebody to feel like I'm like that. Right. And so if I have to learn something because I fucked up, like I want people to know that. Right. Cause, Cause this stuff is changing constantly. Like, I feel like, the kids are creating a world, like you know, and I'm like, I'm. It's like I'm watching it in real time. In real time. And there's yeah. all there's always going to be something new as far as queerness, and that's exciting and also like terrifying because it's like, it's exciting because bitch, we got e- endless episodes, right. but it's also terrifying because, um, you do get that feeling of like, damn, what happens if I fuck up? Right. But what happens if you fuck up is you apologize, you stay plugged into the movement. Yeah. Like, that's it. You know. Uh, who knows all the, the terminology? Like, even when we talked to Barbara Smith and she was saying how, like, um, the words they used were, like, third world women. Yeah. And now we call ourselves women of color. Right. Like, things change. And if we're not able to, like, stay with it. Right. And, you know, yeah, so. You, you'll just be tossed into the dustbin of history. Mm-hmm. So I think this is us holding ourselves accountable. Yeah. So. All right. So we love y'all yeah. and feel free to kick us in the behinds when we need it. Yeah. So. Always. Mm-hmm. Because well, again. not always. That's going to get painful. Oh. Well. Just when we need it. I'm going to say, <laughs> where, where a cushion in? <laughs> Good thing I got this fatty. Okay. <laughs> Didn't foresee that going there. But I was just going to say that, you know, the thing, I feel like we've really stressed it really hard in this episode, but that's a, that's what being in community is all about. Mm-hmm. Learning from, learning with, and um, such and such, so. Mm-hmm. Well, okay. So, now. Oh my God, I'm just smiling so hard right now. <laughs> We're going to go in to an interview that Nikita and I did with the... the- Barbara, Barbara Smith, Smith. <laughs> and you know we we gushed and went on about her in the, the quill, quill walk of the week segment um this episode but I just wanted to say before we get into the interview you can also find her on Twitter uh, <laughs> at at the Barbara, Barbara Smith, Smith. Uh, and I, I mean I don't know I'm I'm just so like it still doesn't feel real. I think it yeah. won't feel real till we upload the episode. Until we upload it, that, yeah. That, like, bitch, we interviewed Barbara, Barbara Smith. Smith. yeah. Like, she knows who we are. Yeah. She laughed at my Umbaku tweets. <laughs> oh, she just thinks the world of Montanique. <laughs> she called me a star. You, you really are. You really are. It made me feel so good. So, yeah, we're going to get into that interview. She needs, like, no more of an introduction, but, like... Here it is, Queer Walk interviewing Mother Warrior Combahi <laughs> River Collective founder, right? Um, Barbara, Barbara Smith. Smith. All right, where do we even start? Like, yeah, 
all right I have to get over like this is a this is just amazing for me because I feel like you've mentored me I was telling Nikita this like just through your life your work like reading everything you've done and truly so I don't even know where to start with asking you questions so I have like a list of like 11 things I wanted to ask but we'll get to well I'm so happy to be with you sisters thank you (laughs) you know you just right down the street Albany I know that's true I live in Albany New York and so and have for many years. Yeah, mm-hmm. I was I was um, thinking you've been there for a while. So like, the first question we have was sort of, can you tell us your origin story? Because you know you like a superhero. So can you tell us how you came to be? Yeah. Well, I'm looking at T'Challa. You know. Yeah. <laughs> Wakanda forever. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, I'm I'm down with Wakanda forever. <laughs> but somebody uh, around the time the film came out said that to me like in a text. I said, well, that is a particularly wonderful compliment given that I've just been in Wakanda. <laughs> you saying, you saying I'm a superhero like that? Okay, whatever. Um, I grew up in Cleveland, Ohio. Mm-hmm. I was born way back in the last century, in the 20th century, in 1946. I'm a twin. Mm-hmm. Uh, my sister is named Beverly. Mm-hmm. And uh, our mother was not expecting twins, which is pretty common for women who were pregnant and having babies during that time period because unless you had a really, really good doctor or mm-hmm. it wasn't even about having a good doctor because none of the imaging and mm-hmm. the things mm-hmm. that you use to figure out if it's more than one baby, it's just a stethoscope. It's, it was yeah. a doctor in the stethoscope. <laughs> so she was surprised. We were quite premature. And it's kind of amazing that we survived. My sister mm-hmm. actually had pneumonia. Uh, at birth, and we were in the incubators. Uh, they used to tell us that we were incubator babies. And as I look back on it, because I just love history and trying mm-hmm. to figure out what was going on when, I say, well, do you know what an incubator incubator was back in the 1940s? It was an egg carton with some lights in it. I mean, <laughs> it's nothing like what an incubator is now. Yeah. And, and a NICU, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, so... Anyway, we did make it, and I often think it's because we had a purpose uh, here uh, on uh, Earth. And uh, we grew up in an extended family. Uh, Our grandmother was our primary caretaker, and as I said, it was Cleveland, Ohio, which is nothing like the Cleveland that people know about and sometimes joke about, except now NBA champion, so there's not as many jokes, thank goodness. But... um, it was a huge industrial city. It was one of the 10 largest cities in the United States. It had incredible cultural institutions. One of those cultural institutions, actually, that was unique was a, a cultural center, a black cultural center called Karamu House. And Karamu is a Swahili word. And they did lots of things there, like crafts, art, ceramics, but they were most known for doing theater. Mm-hmm. A lot of black actors from the 20th century, like Ruby D, and I'm trying to think of some other names right off the top of my head, but many, many black actors uh, who became successful uh, as actors uh, on Broadway and to a lesser extent in film, since they didn't really have us be in too many movies during that period. But they actually uh, had worked at Caremu. So the first play, I'm sure the first play my sister and I ever saw was Little Red Riding Hood, portrayed by black actors (laughs) at Caramu, which is down the street from where our aunt lived before we all moved to one house uh, when I was six years old. 
And these are really wonderful experiences. I was raised in the heart of the black community. My sister and I never have seen so much as a photograph of our father. So when I talk about my family, I'm always talking about the maternal side of my mm -hmm. family. Mm -hmm. And they were an incredible uh, group of uh, people, primarily women. Mm -hmm. They wanted the best for my sister and I, particularly educationally and around our uh, behavior and values. Mm -hmm. As my sister Beverly says, the twin pillars, the twin pillars mm -hmm. of our family mm -hmm. were the church and education. Religion and education, those are the twin pillars. Fortunately, the church that our family belonged to was pretty progressive mm. because we had friends uh, who were, our, of course, our age, and they went to churches where you weren't not out, you were not allowed to dance and you couldn't go to movies. And it's just like, oh, my goodness. Thank goodness that's not what's going on in our household. But but our family, they uh, particularly our grandmother, uh but more than one person in our family were very, very involved with the church. And the reason I'm mentioning that, I think, is because I'm involved with the Poor People's Campaign now. And so I'm kind of re-examining yeah. my religious uh, So we upbringing. wanted to ask you about that, actually. Um, did you want to? Yeah. So um, maybe first you just want to say a little bit about uh, what the Poor People's Campaign is and why you're involved. Mm -hmm. And... Um, I guess this is, um, I might be getting ahead of myself, but um, I think the thing that was really striking and interesting to us is that you all are talking about poverty and talking about the, the moral analysis. Mm -hmm. So we're mm -hmm. really curious as to why that framing as opposed um, to others. So Like a material. Especially as yeah. like a yeah. radical black lesbian feminist. Right. So <laughs> yeah. where's all this language yeah. about morality coming yeah. from? So, yeah. Yes. Good question, as I said. And that's kind of why I brought up my mm -hmm. uh, religious background mm -hmm. because it really is coming to the fore at this time. I have not been religious really since I was a child, mm -hmm. but I did still have to go right. <laughs> to church. But during this period, having been raised in a black Baptist church is coming in handy because when I'm in these contexts, I actually have a grasp, more than a grasp, of where people may be coming from. Mm -hmm. um, anyway, the Poor People's Campaign is, um, poor, is the Poor People's Campaign, a national call for moral revival. It grew out of the fusion politics and the Moral Mondays movement in North mm -hmm. Carolina, uh, which was quite successful because under Reverend William Barber's leadership and with, of course, a great grassroots swell of participation of people in North Carolina, they were able to push back against the very repressive government policies of both the state legislature and also the very conservative governor. So at a time when North Carolina government was about voter suppression, was about attacks on the LGBTQIA community, were about just closing down reproductive freedom, were uh, so many different things. Uh, even I think they even passed something that if you that you were no longer allowed to have a minimum wage in your municipality. So if a city wow. decided to have right. minimum wage, uh, a living wage, they couldn't. They were not allowed to do that. Uh, the attacks on the trans community in mm -hmm. particular the so-called bathroom bills, just all yeah. kinds of mm -hmm. madness. The moral part of the Poor People's Campaign 
comes uh, from the desire to frame a new moral narrative around issues of injustice mm -hmm. and oppression in our nation. So instead of thinking of morality as somebody with their finger waving in your face, because that's the kind of traditional sure. definition of morality, and that's why I don't really like the term, actually, morality. You have not liked it, because once I found out there was something called ethics, I thought, oh, no, that's ethics is better. Mm -hmm. Because ethics, I always think of as being what comes from within, mm -hmm. how the individual relates to what they should be doing in relationship to other human beings and to the planet and also other forms of life, that's ethics. You look at the situation and you figure out what is my correct relationship to people who are living in poverty, to people who are being hounded uh, because of their identities, whatever they might be, to people who are considered to be unworthy of life here because they don't have papers mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. and uh, mm -hmm. who don't have the documents. I'm talking about immigrants yeah. in this case. Mm -hmm. Instead of having somebody waving their finger in, their fi in your face and saying, you are condemned to hell because you're not a cisgendered white heterosexual, mm -hmm. that kind of morality. So as I said, there's a consciousness in the Poor People's Campaign that we're shifting the moral narrative to say, guess what, poverty, is violence. Mm -hmm. Poverty is an evil. Militarism. Racism. We always talk about yeah. racism first. Mm -hmm. Like when we do, they're the four evils. They've defined four evils, which we could also call oppressions or four mm -hmm. crises. The four evils that the Poor People's Campaign is addressing are racism, poverty, militarism, and ecological destruction. Mm -hmm. And there was a Poor People's Campaign in 1967, yeah. 68. Mm -hmm. And that was the last thing that Martin Luther King was committed to and working on and organizing when he was assassinated. Mm -hmm. So this is not a, uh, a commemoration or a celebration of the Poor People's Campaign. N68 It's a continuation mm -hmm. because we have more poverty now than we right. actually had then. Mm -hmm. The minimum wage in the 1960s, it was higher now than the minimum wage now. Mm -hmm. Not in uh, dollars, but in what Comparison. the dollars would buy. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it's a big movement. Uh, the reason I'm committed to it is, well, couple, several reasons, a couple of reasons. One is that when you start looking at poverty, you're going to get to those material mm -hmm conditions very soon. You can't really talk about poverty and not at least wonder about capitalism. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and because I am a socialist, mm -hmm. I see so much potential. And, okay, we're talking about poverty. Then what next? What yeah. next? <laughs> and then, and I'm talking about democratic socialism, not totalitarianism, sure. of course. Uh, the other thing is that because of the strategies that are being put into play to build the Poor People's Campaign, this is a huge opportunity for movement building in the United States. This is a mode, means, opportunity, platform, yeah. a way of really enhancing mm -hmm. and enlivening and enriching movements and movement building. No one who's working on any issue now in organizations is being asked to abandon those issues mm -hmm. or those organizations, right. but to join in this massive 
nationwide mm -hmm. initiative, which very, very smartly is based in states. Right. So I'm on the New York State Coordinating Committee for the entire state. Mm -hmm. So in one way or another, Syracuse is my a part of our territory. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and as we talked about, uh, I am in Albany, New York. And because Albany is the state capital, that's mm -hmm. where a lot of the action is yeah, going to happen. Right. Because starting on Mother's Day, there will be 40 days of nonviolent civil disobedience. And there's another term that I'm supposed to know by heart, but I haven't quite um, <laughs> mastered it yet. So I'm getting out my notebook so I can uh, say what the synonym is, you know, the parallel phrase of uh, how we're talking about our nonviolent civil disobedience. But as I said, it starts on Mother's Day, and it will go for 40 days. And that is, let's see, can't find it yet, but I will. Not Nonviolent. Moral direct action mm. or civil disobedience, mm -hmm. nonviolent. So it's like reclaiming of moral from yes, the, like, from, from the haters, right? From the haters, exactly. Yes. Yeah. Oh yeah, it's taking it back from the haters. Yeah. Uh, there, there's a concept that people in the poor people campaign, poor people's campaign, talk about a uh, Christian nationalism, mm. Mm. and that's a really good term because it takes in white supremacy, right. and it takes in all these really negative ways mm -hmm. of relating to other uh, uh, beings. Right, right. Even and like the, the, um, like the militarization and policing. Right. Like nationalism. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. right. So we're not about Christian nationalism. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and people... Capitalism and God we trust on the money. Right. Uh, <laughs> uh, 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 yes. yes. And um, th there's room in the campaign, as witnessed by my involvement, <laughs> uh, for people who are not uh, involved in religion, mm -hmm. um, people who are not uh, believers in any particular sure. uh, religious uh, practice or followers of any uh, religious practice. We're trying to make room. Mm -hmm. And I think with inv uh, involvement with people like me and out yeah. lesbians since the 1970s, yeah. <laughs> it's kind of like McDonald's, how many, you know, millions of hamburgers have been, or billions have been sold. <laughs> Yes, out lesbians since the 1970s. That's a lot of years of oppression. Yes, yes. How many incidents? You know, how many triggers? You know, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I've been out since the mid 70s. Um, with people like me involved, I think that that does open up space uh, for different uh, people from different movements, different identities, different yeah. communities to get involved. So you just, oh, Go ahead. sorry, because you just started talking about being out since the 70s. And I have um, this question about, like, the relationships you've had over time and related to, like, movement work. And Are you talking about personal have, relationships? Yeah. Oh, that's like, a non-starter. We will not be talking about that. Okay. Um, but I will say that, yes, uh, I was involved and have been involved with some wonderful women. Mm -hmm. That's all I will say. You okay. know, I do not kiss and tell. Uh, <laughs> Um, I've, I'm very, uh, well, nobody would know it from me rattling on here, but I was uh, born a very shy person, mm -hmm. um, and my sister and I were both shy, the very shy, and the term that was used back in those days that people don't usually use nowadays, nowadays is bashful. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you've heard the yeah, term yeah, bashful. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So we were really bashful, mm -hmm. <laughs> and we didn't talk, we talked to each other, and I think we taught, uh, we taught each other to talk, but... Mm -hmm. Uh, my um, 
reticence, you know, about certain things and, and my uh, being a private person, although, again, it doesn't appear to be. Um, yeah, that's not, we're not going to go there. Okay. But, uh, <laughs> and I don't know what you want to know. Yeah, I, I guess I just wonder what dating was like with being so political. Not necessarily mm-hmm. like like names. Oh, okay, okay, <laughs> okay. But, Let's see. Let me see because it's something we talk about a lot on the podcast. Oh, like how? Um, so I have this this joke of like wanting to find social justice bay. And it's really, it's really hard. Right. Kind of like so radical. Right. Yeah. And I would identify with that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think it's really uh, a challenge to find people who um, you share a value system with and Mm -hmm. share priorities with. And then, of course, there has to be that attraction. Mm -hmm. And sometimes attraction uh, absolutely uh, gets, uh, you know, ahead of the line mm-hmm. as far as you know the politics and what have you I think relationships are hard uh, and I guess as an elder anyone who's listening out there yeah, well, if you think you know. if you think it's only you no I'm, all I can say is it's not just you mm-hmm. that our relationships are really hard I don't think we live in a society that necessarily uh, provides a context in which we can relate to each other yeah, in the best ways <laughs> oh okay yeah. <laughs> And, and the best ways, mm-hmm. because we don't necessarily see the models, and particularly yes. as mm-hmm. lesbians yeah. of color mm-hmm. and black lesbians. I, I know the term lesbian isn't used very often. I've noticed mm-hmm. that, because I've been in contact with a lot of younger mm-hmm. uh, black activists and black mm-hmm. queer people. I said, nobody ever uses the word lesbian anymore. Money uses I do. Oh, you do? Yes. But I always say, I'm a lesbian, because... Mm-hmm. <laughs> and because for one thing, there's no ambiguity about what the word means. Yes, sure. yes. It's like, as I said, unless you're from the Isle of Lesbos, <laughs> you probably are not going to be confused <laughs> by that term. And I'm not even sure that people who come from Lesbos Call say that they're lesbians. Lesbian. I doubt that. I seriously <laughs> doubt that. So, <laughs> so I always like the term lesbian. It's the word that we used and we had to assert to use mm-hmm. back in uh, the day, in the early days of the what was then the gay liberation mm-hmm. uh, movement or the gay rights movement. Mm-hmm. And it was always gay, 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 yeah. gay. And we informed people, and by we I mean those of us who are lesbian feminists and activists, we informed people like, we're not gay. We're lesbians. Mm-hmm. And you need to put lesbian into the title, into the mm-hmm. sentence, into the piece that you're writing, whatever it is. We need to be visible. Mm-hmm. And I was just telling someone the other day who I don't think is a part of our uh, community, I said, you could tell what people's politics were back then by which letter came first. Mm-hmm. Like, was it mm-hmm. GLBT mm-hmm. or was it LGBT? Mm-hmm. And right. like for, if the L was first, then you knew you were dealing with people who were conscious around mm-hmm. gender uh-huh. uh, oppression wow. and uh, gender uh, uh you know, uh, issues and identity. So, yeah. But it's never, you know, it's never been easy. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking about Audre Lorde, looking at the two of you, and Mm -hmm. and because of what we're talking about right this moment, um, she was born in the 1930s, so she was probably, um, I can't remember how many years uh, older than I, but she definitely was older. And she has this book, which you may have read, Zami, a new spelling mm-hmm, of my name, mm-hmm. and that's about her experiences yeah. of being mm-hmm. a young woman in the 1950s. Mm-hmm. And 
as uh, as she said, I don't I I don't know if it's in the book or not. I should know, but uh, she says I've been standing on this street corner for a hell of a long time. <laughs> and when she says that, she means I've been out yeah. here, yeah, yeah, trying yeah. to make yeah. things work right. for a hell of a long yeah. time. And now I can say the same thing. I yeah. think I'm older. Uh, uh, Audrey, I don't think, uh, you know, she definitely was not 71 mm -hmm. by the time she uh, uh, went to another uh, plane. Mm -hmm. uh, but it was really, I, I've been fortunate to know some of the greatest yeah. people. Yes. Uh, and be speaking, the, be one of the speaking of which, <laughs> we cannot have Barbara Smith on the program and not talk about and not mention I think it was Robin D.G. Kelly that said that the Combahee River Collective Statement ah! was the finest political statement. He yes. did. Because yeah. <laughs> I took that to heart. I took it to heart. Because it was Robin D.G. Kelly. Right. You know, it's like, and wow. So, uh, just for the listeners real quick, Robin D.G. Kelly uh, is a black radical Black radical, like historian, um, and intellectual. So, um, shout and out a to wonderful him. brother, I might add. He's fa he's really fantastic. Yeah, he's a very nice person. And so, I mean, we could, I mean, we could spend five hours on the statement alone, but yeah. we will not. So, something that I think that is interesting about you know the Combahee River Collective statement and the way we talk about Black feminism is that, you know, people often talk about Black feminism as like you know taking white feminists to task and taking, like, sexist black men to task. Mm -hmm. But there really hasn't been a discussion about the political tensions that existed amongst black feminists. So um, could you talk about some of... So making the distinctions between, like, radical and anti-capitalist black feminists right, versus... Right, right. Main, more mainstream. So can, yeah. you, can you tease out some of those tensions um, for well, us? Well, and see, I didn't think you were going to go in that direction. I thought you were going to say that people think that black feminism was a reaction to mm. black men's sexism mm. and white women's mm. racism. Mm. It was in part. I thought what you were going to ask is, but what was it really about? What were you trying mm. to create? And that's a more positive thing to focus on than tensions amongst black women. We were on the left. That yeah. was one of the things that made yeah. the Combahee River Collective so unique because it was a very small group. But people who were involved in the group had had a lot of experience in other left movements, like the uh, movement to end the war in Vietnam, yeah. uh, the Panthers. Mm -hmm. uh, I had had experience in the civil rights movement. Yeah. And with those experiences, uh, and people who were socialists, uh, very, very... Uh, sophisticated socialist uh, too. I'm not talking about every single one of us, but there's one person who was in the group uh, in the early days who was older than we were. She was in her 40s when we were in our 20s and maybe mm -hmm. early 30s. She'd had a lot of experience uh, with the black liberation uh, mm -hmm. movement mm -hmm. and was also a very, very committed and sophisticated socialist. Her name is Sharon Burke. She's a great poet too, mm -hmm. just a great all-round person, and she's now become a uh, established and very much uh, a respected visual artist. So mm. she was obviously a re Renaissance yeah. woman, uh -huh. and weren't we lucky to get to know her mm -hmm. at those uh, early uh, stages, earlier stages of our life? Anyway, as I said, there were people who had a lot of movement experience. Mm -hmm. We brought that to the Combahee River uh, collect uh, collective, and when we wrote our statement, then. We were bringing all of that to bear, too. 
we had been a part of the National Black Feminist Organization, yeah. which was the first national organization that had the goal of organizing black women who identified as feminists mm -hmm. around the nation. And we were committed to the National Black Feminist Organization, but at a certain point, we talked about how we th thought our politics were different from the National Black Feminist Organization because I think that they were more like um, uh, the national, they, th they thought of themselves as being more like the National Organization for Women. Mm -hmm. And that, at any time you bring black women together about struggle, it's going to have, I think, at least some anti-establishment sure. yeah. content or edge. Yeah. But as I said, um, the, I don't think, know that they would have necessarily have defined themselves as socialists sure. mm. uh, or anti-capitalists. Mm -hmm. And then also there were the real issues of how does an unfunded or underfunded organization service an organization that has chapters in various cities. Right. So we were in the Boston chapter. I actually mm -hmm. had a lot of contact with the Washington, D.C. chapter because I lived down there for about six months in 1974 and went to a lot of uh, their meetings. And there were chapters around the nation. And it was really hard for an organization without resources to uh, be... Uh, at the ready and and be accessible for the needs of those chapters around yeah. the nation. So for a variety of, of reasons, some of which we write about in the Combahee River Collective Statement, we decided to uh, become an independent organization. Mm -hmm. um, I believe uh, strongly in uh, sisterhood and solid mm -hmm. solidarity, mm -hmm. and I believe in coalition. I believe in working with people across differences of identity, mm -hmm. and in some cases, even differences of politics, mm -hmm. for whatever the important goal, goal. is. Mm -hmm. That's what you find in a life of organizing, in a life mm -hmm. of activism. It's not about your mirror images mm -hmm. all being out there uh, on the picket line or on the, uh, at the protests or wherever you are together. It's about people who agree upon one principle of I, we are not handling this and we're not taking it. Like the uh, action that you had yesterday at the transportation center mm -hmm. around um, bo it's border patrol right. mm -hmm. picking up people at the train station in Syracuse. If you had gone and had a little questionnaire, like a five-question questionnaire, and you'd ask each person who was at that action, what do you think about one, two, three, four, and right. five? you might very well have gotten quite a few different yeah. answers. Yeah. But did it make a difference mm -hmm. what their different answers were for being at the train station right. yesterday? Mm -hmm. It did not. Mm -hmm. um, that was an action. It wasn't necessarily being in an organization together. Mm -hmm. You need different levels of uh, agreement and different le levels of solidarity depending on what it is you're building. The Poor People's Campaign is one of the most uh, interesting and um, kind of enlightening experiences I've had around coalition work mm. because I knew going in right. that I was not yeah. organizing with a bunch of of, of black uh, uh, feminists who are lesbians and socialists. Right. I knew that. <laughs> right. yeah. I didn't say that. There's no. <laughs> 
I'm looking at my papers because I have some poor people's campaign. I'm looking at my poor people's papers. It doesn't say that on any of these papers. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that I have just for our studio audience who <laughs> 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 can't see what I'm doing. Uh, <laughs> but our podcast audience. But anyway, so I knew that going in. Right. Uh, I think that's one of the hardest things about doing effective political work and it's also one of the most important things to grasp mm-hmm. that it's not about us being identical yeah, in right. our beliefs yeah. uh, or even in our um, identities mm-hmm. uh, or what we think is important. I guess we can get along with people who did not see uh, Black Panther. I guess we'll just have to. <laughs> I mean... But it's why? just like it's so yeah it's just like i don't i don't even know how but the thing is <laughs> i've only seen it twice so yeah uh, but yeah so that's a difference mm-hmm. there are people who did not feel like they had to be there the first weekend and yeah. there are people who did mm-hmm. um multiple times <laughs> the, friend, the friend i went to this is so funny we went to see like a matinee that started around two she went again that evening yeah. <laughs> i know that was really funny yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, anyway, so yeah, we had to get along with the people who didn't go the first weekend yeah. um, or haven't seen it yet. Uh, that that will happen. But mm-hmm. at, the, at the end of the day, right. if what we're trying to uh, fight mm-hmm. is injustice mm-hmm. and violence mm-hmm. and brutality, then we, we can uh, come together. There's a wonderful um, article that you may know about that, is in my book, Homegirls, a Black mm-hmm. Feminist Anthology. Mm-hmm. And that's the last article in the book. It's by Bernice Johnson Reagan, yeah. founder of mm-hmm. uh, Sweet Honey and the Rock. Yes. And its title is Coalition Politics Turning the Century. And I've been bringing that out big time. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the Poor People's Campaign has a real commitment to political education. We read things and discuss them. And I've been make, making suggestions about a number of the readings because I'm on that committee. And, of course, I read. Mm-hmm. <laughs> read a lot. Read everything. <laughs> I, I like, we I, can't I, give her a book because yeah, you probably already read it. <laughs> I, no, I wish I did read everything because I had 12 years uh, in an abyss of mm-hmm. not reading a lot. But um, anyway, I'm back to reading now uh, that I'm retired. And we did discuss this article, Coalition Politics During the Century. Bernice says a lot of things in that article, but one of the things that she says is that coalition is not your home. That's your home. You right. don't get fed a lot in a coalition. Yeah, right. Yeah. If you want a bottle with a nipple, then you need to go home and get that there. And it's just tough. The only reason yeah. you think that you would be involved in a coalition is it's the only way you think that you can stay alive. Mm. And that just puts it right yes. out there, the stakes that we're yes. fighting. Yeah. And yet, of course, if one is able to do that work, the benefit and the uh, positive results are all to our uh, yeah. good. Indeed. Wow. Um, so wow. What, the last one, can, can it be about the intergenerational one? Like, uh, oh, like, yeah. Are you okay with that? Yeah, we can do that. Okay. I don't remember how we sort of worded it, but... I mean, we connected on Twitter. You have been sort of like intergenerationally um, doing black feminist radical work. How have you been like able to to do that, to connect with, I don't know, like baby black feminists yeah, like yeah, us? Yeah. And, and I guess like what movement work do you see um, younger black feminists doing that sort of inspires yeah. you? Well, I think the obvious answer to the last part of that question is Black Lives Matter. Yes. 
Mm -hmm. uh, it's so incredible to see the legacy, if I can use that mm -hmm. term, uh, to see the legacy of the work that we were doing yes. back in the uh, early days of the second wave mm. of the feminist movement as uh, women of color. Um, it's just amazing to see that those politics and the things that we put out there have been taken up yes. by yeah. this incredibly vital movement. And as I have pointed out, one of the things about uh, uh, Bl Black Lives Matter formations, because there are a lot of Black Lives Matter organizations, mm -hmm. and there's, it's not just one mm -hmm. uh, thing, but people who are involved in this work to uh, shine a bright spotlight on police brut brutality, criminal injustice, extrajudicial murders mm -hmm. of primarily uh, black people and other people of color, um, to use the work of uh, black feminism, to use an analysis of black feminism, this is not primarily organizing in BLM around sexual political issues. Mm -hmm. Think about that. Mm -hmm. So the work of, of uh, black feminists, who of course had a multi-issued mm -hmm. intersectional perspective, the work of uh, black feminists is, has been seen as valuable by younger black women organizing around state violence, mm -hmm. police violence, and the movement that looks is looking at that prior work is not a, a movement that is primarily organized around gender mm -hmm. and sexuality oppressions. Mm -hmm. That's huge mm -hmm. because it shows that the work we were doing has meaning in more than one context. Yes. Now, the fact right. that a lot of the uh, visible participants in uh, this organizing, the Black Lives Matter organizing, the fact that a lot of them define themselves as black queer women, mm -hmm. including trans women, yeah. um, that may not then be a coincidence that they found the uh, work not just of black feminists, but the, the feminism of women of color. I think of this mm -hmm. bridge called My Back, of yes. uh, which yeah. of course is biblical you know, mm -hmm. in many ways, mm -hmm. uh, uh, that they have found this work and uh, they see it of being of, of use. But that's really, really uh, exciting. As far as my connecting to younger uh, women of color and young, younger baby feminists, did you yeah. say? That is so silly. And, I, and, and what people don't know is that I'm one of the silliest people on the planet. That's one of the, that's one of the reasons I love Twitter so much. Yeah. Because, because it gives me a chance. Is I'm usually not as silly on Twitter as I think of in my mind. Uh, because I think these people are, you know, they think that this is the Barbara Smith. They, maybe I can't say that. Okay. But anyway, but I appreciate the... Uh, the lightheartedness mm -hmm, and the mm -hmm. humor of uh, <laughs> of uh, uh, Twitter, particularly on your Twitter feed. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> She's talking about money. Montanay. Mon no, no, no. It's just like, it's hysterical. It's hysterical. <laughs> you are hysterical. Um, but um, there's, you know, like I've been relating to, you know, younger uh, black and other activists from other backgrounds for decades because I've been mm -hmm. old for a long time. You know, I mean, <laughs> I mean, it's hard to think of myself as being old yeah. because I don't really have an old 
uh, older person's point of view necessarily, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. whatever that might be. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I know that, uh, well, who, who knows how long? We never know. Mm -hmm. But I just know that there um, there's exciting uh, days and exciting things to do before me, mm -hmm. in front of me. Yeah. So I don't necessarily have this, like, I can't do that because... Mm -hmm. um, I, I can do whatever I can given my physical you right. know, capacity. Mm -hmm. So I don't do big major mass mobilization demonstrations any longer because I know I can't handle mm -hmm. that. That would not be a good place for me to, uh, to be. Um, with the, um, uh, the nonviolent moral direct action that's going to be happening, I've been thinking, thinking, thinking about should I uh, think about getting arrested? And I think, no, it's just not safe mm -hmm. because I can't be away from certain medications right. yeah. that I yeah. take. And they, mm -hmm. they advise people not to do that. But as I said, I've been around people younger than myself, let's say from the time I was in my 40s on, 40s, yeah. 50s on, mm -hmm. you know. And I just have such delight in uh, anyone who's about struggle, yeah. justice, and transformative change. I'm just delighted. I don't have any personal children mm -hmm. uh, myself. I look at people who are in those younger groups. I say, well, that's the kind of child I probably would have had if yeah. I'd ever had one because yeah. I would want my child to be right. out there. Yeah. I want my child to be out there you know, <laughs> doing the work, you know. Right. Um, and it's just delightful. That's a word I use a lot. It's a very mm -hmm. old-fashioned word. I love it. Uh, but... Uh, it's so delightful to connect with people across uh, generational differences, identity differences, mm -hmm. gender, sexuality, all kinds of differences. Mm -hmm. I love. I really like that because it enriches me. Mm -hmm. It makes me a more uh, conscious uh, person. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it helps me. Mm -hmm. So people think that it's all perhaps one way. So if there's an older person interacting with a younger person, that all the wisdom and all right. the knowledge is going right, right. one way? Yeah. No, not at all. Mm -hmm. Not at all. And uh, I've always loved popular culture. So that keeps mm -hmm. me kind of, I can actually, yeah, like, yeah. sometimes people will mention like somebody, like a rapper mm. <laughs> or someone that say, you know, I, of course I know who that is. Yeah. I mean, I, don't, I only know the famous ones. I mean, the, <laughs> the really Same. famous ones, although, <laughs> although, you know, like, one of the things that I noticed, the New Yorker, which is like my favorite magazine, I'm so mm. sorry, but it is because it has such great writing in it, mm -hmm. great investigative reporting. And poetry and fiction. Yeah, right. It just has and yeah. cartoons and uh, cartoons. Yeah. So <laughs> so I was reading the New Yorker. I'm catching up on my New Yorkers mm -hmm, now, mm -hmm. and they have consistently uh, these really really serious and admiring uh, articles about people in hip hop. Mm -hmm. And I just like wow. I remember when the New Yorker was about nothing but white people. Yeah. But now <laughs> they have these serious critical articles, mm -hmm. uh, and I read about. Uh, people whose music I've never heard, you know, mm -hmm. just because I want to know yeah. what are people being affected by. Yeah. Right. And I love it. And I also think about the fact that um, that the New Yorker, which is like such a cultural force uh, in uh, mainstream U.S. Uh, culture, lit particularly literary culture, mm -hmm. that they have looked at what... Young black people have created, they say, we cannot ignore this. Right. right. Yes. This yeah. is like, mm -hmm. you know, this is like what is cutting edge yeah. art. 
Yeah, we are yeah. about cutting edge yeah. art. The New Yorker, the people in the New Yorker yeah. are saying. So we have to follow hip hop. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it's just like wow. And then they follow, of course, and and have work by and about um, writers, mm-hmm. of course, filmmakers, right. you know, people who you might expect. But the fact that they get in deep into the hip hop, yeah. it's just like wow. Okay, okay, because so now, that says now I have something. To sing your music. Oh, okay. Music. <laughs> That's nice. I would. I listened to the music that you sent to me. I, I say about the Grammys. I never watched the Grammys. I don't know that yeah. I've ever seen the Grammys, yeah. except by happenstance. I always say the problem. The problem with the Grammys is that everybody I want to see get Grammys is already dead. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I saw a lot of them in person. I saw Ella, <laughs> I saw Ella Fitzgerald. I saw mm-hmm. Carmen McRae. I mm-hmm. saw Sarah Vaughn. I saw Dizzy Gillespie. I saw Miles Davis. So what? Why do I need to watch the Grammys? <laughs> it's, it's so funny. We were going through um, Kianga's uh, book, the edited collection. How yes, we get yes, free. How we get yes. Free. And there's this. I think there's a quote from you in the interview that she did with you, where she, you're like, "If it wasn't for black people, the only thing people would listen to on the radio was news." news? <laughs> that, but that's my sister. I'm quoting my sister. Oh. My sister said that. That's right. Yeah, because we have, you know, over our lifetime, we've had uh, very deep cultural discussions, mm-hmm. of course. Mm-hmm. And I will never forget, she said th- that decades ago. She said, well, you know, if it wasn't for us, the only thing that'd be on the radio would be news. <laughs> and it's true. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. It's true. I mean, they have some little things, you know. They have the European classical tradition, but I'm into... American uh, classical music, which is jazz, yes. and yeah, and mm-hmm. and yeah, and that that dates me on a certain level because when I was growing up, the hippest black people listened to jazz. Mm-hmm. That was just that. Mm-hmm. I mean, the way you listen to hip hop, like if you were really, really, like mm-hmm. on it, mm-hmm. you were listening to jazz. You were a jazz head, you know. And I was raised that way. Because my aunt, who raised my sister and me after our mother uh, died at a very young age, she was like deeply into jazz. Mm. So we grew up listening to Duke Ellington. That was just like the background music. That makes sense though, because hip hop pulls so much from jazz. I'm Mm -hmm. thinking about like Gil Scott Heron and like how that crossover happened. Yes. Like the birth of hip hop and like the jazz. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And he was phenomenal. He was that bridge person into Mm -hmm. our. uh, um, into this era. I lived in New York in the early 80s, and that's when, uh, what did they call it back then? Um, uh, they, oh gosh, I can't think. Um, break, well, there's break dancing that was happening, mm-hmm. and there's another term that is slipping my mind, but I was there when it was first coming mm-hmm. into existence, you know, and I was young then. I really was. I wasn't even 40. <laughs> well, the thing is, is there anything that I want people to know about? Oh, yes. Yeah. I have a book. You told me about the book. Yeah, yeah, I have a book that I'm recommending to everybody. I always have yes. a book that I'm recommending to we people. We love books here at Quick Yes. yes. And um, I keep the book in my car. Uh, if I have a book that I want people to know about, I just keep it in my car. So wherever I go, I can just grab yeah. it. And, That's and, a good idea. Yeah, yeah. Uh, because I'm all about that. I, I don't know. A lot of people listening to this may not know that I actually do have a profession, <laughs> which is not being a radical black lesbian. <laughs> but my profession is teaching African American mm-hmm. literature. Yes. Right? And yeah. I've always taught black the, women writers. Yes. Too. Yes. yes. And uh, black women studies. So mm-hmm. uh, I am about books. Uh-huh. But this book is so 
uh, powerful. Its title is A More Beautiful and Terrible History, The Uses and Misuses of Civil Rights History. Mm. Yes. It's by Jean Theo Harris. It just came out. You can see this is a hardback. Mm. She is also the author of The Rebellious Life of Mrs. Rosa Parks. Yes! Which, wow. which, which just puts holes in, mm. yeah, blows holes in all those stereotypes about, oh, yes, there. exactly. Mm -hmm. Oh, and that's what I wanted to talk about is respectability politics. We can't leave yeah. until I talk about that for a second. Okay. But, because um, this is my opportunity, I've been wanting to write something on Twitter about it and haven't, <laughs> got, and haven't got, quite gotten to it. The thread is coming. But this is um, a remarkable book because she just takes you right through the civil rights era and she talks about all the things that weren't true. Mm. Uh, one of the things about the civil rights era is the movement was only in the South. I was involved in the civil rights movement right, in Cleveland. Right. And I never knew until I read this book that the things I was involved in, were, they were going on in other cities in the North. Mm. Um, there was a strong Northern civil rights movement virtually never talked about. Mm. Uh, there's a chapter in this book that we use for our political education uh, with the Poor People's Campaign, it was my suggestion, uh, and that chapter is the great, uh, the great Man View of History, Part Two. Where are the women? Mm. Yes. And the one that precedes it, the Great Man View of History, Part One, is where are the young people? Mm. So this book just really covers oh my it. God. One I of the things that, that she does too is that uh, she talks about how this, the the misinterpretation. And lies about the civil rights movement are used to attack people doing organizing now, yes, particularly yes, yeah. people uh, organizing mm -hmm. in uh, uh, Black Lives yes. Matter mm -hmm. types of formations. So she's good about that. She has. She talks about respectability politics in here and how you can't be, you can't use a movement to beat up on some other movement. Yeah. I mean that's just like yeah. crazy. Mm -hmm. That's really crazy. But um, I recommend it, recommend it to everyone. It's very well written. Um, she talks about the Poor People's Campaign in the book and, and talks about the Poor People's Campaign as it is building toward the end. She just happens to be the sister of the co-chair of the Poor People's Campaign. Liz. Liz, Reverend Dr. Liz Theo Harris. Mm -hmm. They are sisters. And all I can think of is like what their household was like with these two little... <laughs> <laughs> you know, because I grew up in a household like that with That's my sister. Yeah, he's just like, oh yeah, nerds, you know, nerds, <laughs> just you know, nerds ruling. So a few words about respectability politics, and mm. I wish we had a little bit more time for this. Um, the one thing that I wanted to bring out about respectability politics, and it connects to the civil rights uh, era, I have problems with uh, the accusation of respectability politics being used to characterize the civil rights movement without taking into account what it was like to be alive as a black person during that time. Mm -hmm. So I don't have any problems with respectability politics as an analysis and as a critique of why, why is it important what somebody was saying, wearing, or doing? Mm -hmm. Why was it important if they had... A, uh, a history with the police that then then they were murdered. What mm -hmm. difference does it make? Those are just some uh, examples of mm -hmm. like respectability politics and how it's used. But I do want us to think about um, when we apply it to the civil rights uh, era, 
because we were living in Jim Crow then. Yeah. Um, black people basically, particularly if they were in the South, but also in the North, black people were in potential danger in relationship to all miscellaneous white people across the board. Mm -hmm. We were in physical danger mm -hmm. in relationship to virtually every white person mm -hmm. we might encounter. Now, I'm not saying that if you went... Well, if you went into a store, who knows what might happen? Right, Emmett right. went yes, into a store. Exactly. Uh, but I'm not saying that every single... Like, say you went into a, uh, a drugstore or something like mm -hmm. that, you probably would emerge okay. But the thing is that, uh, in general, we were in danger just virtually everywhere. And I just want people to understand that. The way that people dressed and what they wore to demonstrations or whatever, right. you have to look at what did people wear in general in those days when they went downtown. Right. So it wasn't so necessarily that they wanted to be so sedity. And right. so, but it was you protection, know, like armor. Yes, mm -hmm. and also, like, if everybody's wearing a, a suit and tie, for example, when they went downtown, or wearing a dress when you went downtown, then you were just doing what everybody else did. Right. I actually met um, Carlotta Walsh Lanier, who was one of the Little Rock Nine a few years mm -hmm. ago. Mm -hmm. I just met her a few years ago, which was such an incredible experience for me. And I think it was she who uh, was talking about what people were wearing, and she said, look at what the uh, people from the news media were wearing. They were wearing the same thing. Mm. So in other words, it wasn't that the black people decided, I'm going to wear this kind of outfit and everybody else is in cutoffs and flip-flops. <laughs> yeah, that happened later, you know? <laughs> so um, I just don't want us to paint with a negative brush mm. um, that period as being nothing but respectability right. politics when we don't have a grasp of the level of danger and violence that we were grappling with and living under. Mm -hmm. uh, when I heard someone younger say on TV a few years ago, this is not your mother's civil rights yeah. movement, that really bothered me. Oh, it bothers me when I Yeah, it bothered yeah. me because it's like, but you weren't there. Right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, anyway. Mm -hmm. I mean, I just, I, I feel like the, what you just brought is something that we always try to bring um, to the show is like, um, you're talking about the, like the social and the material conditions that shaped people's like lives and their responses to the um, right, like to the to the real terror right, right. that was there. And so I feel right. like those those conditions and that mm -hmm. cir those circumstances tend to get totally right. erased I, um, I'm, mm -hmm. from the conversation. Yes, I'm seeing that uh, I'm being pulled to another uh, mm -hmm. to another uh, event right now. Uh, but I also wanted to let people know about another book I'm reading which is called Hands on the Freedom Plow. I think it's Hands on the Freedom Plow. It's interviews with women in SNCC, the mm -hmm. Student Nonviolent right. Nonviolent Coordinating Committee. It's great. And the interviews are short. As someone said, you can just uh, uh, approach them like potato chips, you know, eat mm -hmm. a few, and then, <laughs> or read a few, and then, yeah. you know, go on to something else. But these are interviews with people who were primarily down in the Deep South during the early 60s when mm -hmm. SNCC uh, started. And it was just, it was just out of any imagining what these young people were dealing with. Mm -hmm. So, uh, as I said, we need to look at our history and we need mm -hmm. uh, to uh, have like kind of cross-generational love, I think. Mm -hmm. Indeed.
cross generational wow that's yes, such an that's amazing good. note to end on yeah too. thank yeah. you so much i know thank, thank you, you for having me oh. i'm excited because <laughs> i'm gonna get to listen to this now <laughs> yes and we can tag you on twitter yes yes the yes Barbara's the Barbara's yes Barbara's yes yes <laughs> thank you so much thank you what do you need to record for the end bye y'all yeah not just not that but. adios everybody <laughs> can i smack you okay. all right so we hope y'all enjoyed that, enjoy interview that interview as much as we did i was about to say i've been yeah i've been just like coasting on that yeah. high i mean we have to we have to make a list of like all the things that 2018 has brought us yeah for truly Wild because yeah. this was nikita we sat down in what august when was that? No, that was the girl. What are you talking about? That was in February. That was this year. We sat down in February and did like a um like basic, a plan like a for ve- the year. Yeah. And it was like a very ambitious yeah. like bitch, wouldn't it be dope if we could do this? Yeah. And we did like three of those things. Three of those already. things, yeah. And so And we got and we got more stuff on the stove, more stuff I'm, cooking. <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh. I just want to like thank the ancestors, especially yeah. the queer ones who are like just shining down on us yeah. and um, like making this stuff possible. I feel like Barbara is like my my like godmother now and I can go to her. Like, She's she probably going to be like, whoa, <laughs> don't just be rolling up to my house. <laughs> um, yeah, but I'm definitely going to hit her up on Twitter. So. Right, right, right. <laughs> Maybe we'll go see Black Panther one more time before it goes out of theaters. Wow, okay. I don't, I, th- I think you need to be capped. <laughs> I think you're at a limit. No. Oh, my gosh. What if movie passes? Like, I'm sorry. You cannot see this movie anymore. I would be like, thank you. Bravo. <laughs> no. There's a few lines that I still need to Oh, perfect. my God. This is ridiculous. I'm going to recite the whole movie. Yeah, I'm ready for that. All right, y'all. So, y'all know where to find us out here in the internet streets. Yep. Um, don't forget... To um, come by Pod and Live NYC if you're in New York. I totally forgot to say that the RSVP link is also going to be in the description. And you just heard a fantastic interview with Barbara Smith and just another, I'm going to say another great episode of Queer Walk. Mm-hmm. Don't forget, become a patron. Mm-hmm. Patreon.com slash Sight us and shit, you know. Invite us, oh, yeah. invite us to your campuses and shit. I was going to say something else. Slide in the DMs. <laughs> Check out Nikita's new box cut. I mean, you don't even have to slide into the DMs. You can stroll. Maybe, <laughs> maybe you're feeling extra frisky and you want to sprint right into the DMs. Nose dive. <laughs> are, we, are we still talking about the DMs? Deuces, y'all. Adios.